let's get into the Word of God. And if you brought your Bible with you today, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so thankful today for your presence, for the revelation and understanding of Jesus. Lord, help us to see and understand accurately all that you've done for us, all that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, so that we might walk in the light of victory, forgiveness, and, uh, and all that you've provided. Thank you for revelation now, for eyes to see and ears to hear, and now unction and utterance in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we began a series, a new series of messages last week called The Rules of Grace. And, and today we want to uh, continue along these lines. And you might recall that uh, I began sharing with you how the Bible is basically made up of two main components. That's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And those primarily, again, uh, represent two different covenants that God made with mankind. How many, A covenant would be kind of like a contract, uh, however, a little more intense because blood was involved in, 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 in establishing a covenant. I've signed some contracts in my life, you know, like real estate stuff. You ever done some of those? <laughs> Sign these 20 million pages and it's yours. <laughs> uh, but I've never had to give blood. <laughs> But when it comes to the covenants that God establishes with man, uh, they're, a, uh, they're blood covenants. And so they're, they're kind of a big deal. You know what I'm saying? And, and, but it's real important for us to understand the difference. There was an old covenant. And the reason it's called old is because there is now a new covenant. It used to be just the covenant. The law of Moses is what we're talking about. Uh, the laws, we frequently refer to it. And then the new covenant. See, Jesus came along and what we celebrate at Easter um, of the resurrection of Jesus was a major game changer in all of human uh, reality. It changed the way that God relates to mankind. And it changes the way that we relate to God. Without that resurrection, this wouldn't really be near as fun. I mean, this, things would really be different, but the Lord gave His very all so that we could experience a true and unhindered relationship with Him forever. When Jesus came busting out of that tomb, how many know you came out with Him? Yeah, I mean, we weren't even born yet, but in the mind of God, we were raised up together with Him. It was tremendous an outstanding miracle that took place. Uh, but the difference in these two covenants is really important that we understand, okay? Uh, and what happens many times as Christians today, believers today, they, like I said last week, but the Bible is just one big book. All the, you know, different writings, different books within the book, but they don't understand and recognize the difference in how God relates to people. And this must be uh, identified by us so we can be New Testament minded. New covenant minded, okay? In the Old Testament, of course, uh, God gave them a law so that they would know you're a failure, you fall short of my glory, and you need a Savior. And the law had some very strict, strict, strict requirements, and it was all performance-based. It was if you'll do this, and you'll do this, and you'll do this, and you need about a hundred more hands. If you'll do all these things, you will be blessed, man. And if you don't, you're going to be cursed. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Doesn't sound too good. And because, you know what, it was kind of a fixed system too. No one could do it. But God in His great mercy and kindness, He still 
allowed for them to escape from a lot of junk. How? Well, he gave them a system of sacrifices. If you sin, this animal dies, and you'll be covered. Your sin will be covered. And some things, it was for particular actions. Sometimes other things were annual sacrifices. But if they would take the life of something else, their sins could be covered. And so he was basically giving them relief. God didn't want people to be cursed. But he wanted people to understand. He wanted his people to to know that you do not measure up to my standards. And there must be a sacrifice that takes care of this. Okay? And so they would do that. And they'd give their sacrifices, and in that sacrifice, they'd be reminded, you're a sinner, right? Every time you gave a sacrifice, you would know, I'm a sinner. But at the same time, they would also walk away from the sacrifice, realizing that, well, I'm forgiven, at least for now. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm good for a while, so now I can really expect the blessing of God to operate in my life again. Now, here's the deal. In our covenant, it's far superior If you know how it works. If you don't know the rules of grace, you start operating under the rules of the law and you're toast. Why? It can even be worse for you than it was for them. Because at least they had sacrifices and they could go and feel some relief for their guilt and their sin. We don't do that. And I'm glad we don't do that. But if a person doesn't knowingly put their faith and trust in the sacrifice, the final sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, they remain feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling unworthy and unholy. They remain with all kinds of junk inside of them. And so they actually sometimes are worse off than those who had to live under that old covenant, the inferior covenant. So here's what's important. We, as New Testament believers, as many of us are, some of you aren't yet, but you will be in a bit, because uh, you're going to want this, I'm telling you, it's good. I mean, it's almost too good to be true, but it is true. And, uh, but we, as New Covenant believers, must avoid operating in an Old Testament mind frame, where we're kind of straddling. And this is, listen, a lot of people do this. Tons of Christians do this. They come to the Lord, and they know their salvation is by grace. But the moment they get saved, they start living partially under the works of the law. They start living by the, the, by the commandments, and that's what governs their life instead of grace. But we are supposed to be fully and completely in the New Testament. We learn from the old, but we don't live there. We don't go there and operate under that. And if I do, I'm telling you, bondage is at my door. Struggle, this is hard. This is, you know, this is a fight to live this life. But when I get the revelation of grace, oh, happy day, (laughs) happy day. I mean, Jesus has done so many great things for us, and the awareness of that makes all the difference in the world, okay? And so the only way for us to live out this new covenant of grace is by understanding the rules that govern it and how they differ from the law. Look at this verse with me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and verse verse 8, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 8 It says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Is the law good? Bible's true. Law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding or knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Did everybody see that? And I have to warn you today, I'm going to 
tweak some brains. All right? Just smile and look ahead and consider the things that I say because if they're new to you, it doesn't mean they're wrong. Deceived people are, are the ones that, that refuse to learn. Kind of a, a principle in my life is I don't quickly accept things that are new, but I, don't, I also don't quickly reject things that are new. I want to be wise. I want to be humble. I want to consider, especially if someone's given me Bible verses on it, and it's new to my thinking, I'm going to consider those things lest I end up on the wrong side of the issue. All right, because we're all, it's all possible for all of us to be wrong about stuff. We're all wrong about something in life, unless there's someone here who's just all-knowing, right? Uh, and so I want you to consider these things. Now listen, the law is not made for a righteous person. Now we know from the Scripture that if any man is in Christ, he is righteous. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, he took our sin, we took his righteousness. So whenever a person gets saved, according to the word of God, they are now a righteous person. So who is the law not for? Us. If you've if you've received Jesus, the law is not for you. Now what's the, what is the law? Now primarily that's the 10 commandments. Now there are many other laws but when Moses went up the mountain and God wrote on the, the stone and gave the Ten Commandments, I guess it was on TV last night. Anybody see that? All right. Uh, uh, God gave the Ten Commandments. What was that? That's the law. Do you know that that's not for you today? If you've been born again, that is not for your life. And this is where a lot of Christians go, tilt. We're not supposed to follow the Ten Commandments. That's what the Word of God says. I didn't make that up. Paul wrote that to Timothy, inspired by the Lord, and said the law is not written for a righteous person. It's written for heathens. Yeah. Like I said last week, that's why we do like the Ten Commandments in the courthouses and in the parks and in the, in the things all around the country, you know, where all the battles go on. It's because the world needs to see there's a standard that they fall short of. But as soon as you come to Jesus, the Ten Commandments are no longer for you. And so many Christians, that's a, that's a completely new thought, and yet that verse has been there the whole time. But look who, it is, look who the Bible says it's for. It says, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Now that's a pretty nasty list there, isn't it? <laughs> See, that's who the law is for. That's who, that's who the commandments are for. People that have those things operating in their life, basically that's describing the unregenerate or the, the pre-Christ person. Before I came to Jesus, that was the nature of my spirit. That was the potential of what my life could become because I was a sinner. Sinners sin. But I came to Jesus. I traded places with him, right? He went to the cross in my place, and I went to the throne, when he was raised from the dead, I went, went with him after he conquered death. But I, I received his righteousness. Now I'm no longer supposed to live by rules and laws. In fact, if I try to, it's a sure recipe for defeat. People trying to 
trying their hardest not to sin and try to live a righteous life before God, and they're doing it with a commandments mindset, they're going to fail. They're going to fall short. Because actually, you know what? That's what the law was designed to do. It's to show people how they're going to fall short so that we turn to Jesus. But I don't want to be one that I turn to Jesus when I get saved. I trust Him as my Savior, as my Lord. And as soon as that's done, amen, I get up and now I'm back to me. Now I'm back to working it, to work, working at my life, trying to improve it and make myself better, make myself a better person so God will love me more, so I'll be accepted or something. Let me see that there's a problem with that. If I couldn't do that before, why can I do that now? The truth is, I get saved by His grace. I receive the very gift of righteousness through Jesus. And then my life is to be lived the exact same way. Under His power, under His ability, with His favor working in me. And He allows me to live out what I've received from Him. Okay? This is a new way of living. This is the way God designed us to live in this new covenant. And, and we need to adapt this mindset. Now, now go over to Colossians with me. I, I want to show you this in a few different places so you know that it's not just a, you know, just one verse pulled out of context or something that we just pulled out of the air. The law, again, was about all about how you perform, but grace is about how Jesus performed on your behalf. You see, an, an Old Testament-minded person is always focused on what is wrong with them. While a New Testament-minded person is focused on what is right with Jesus and how that we are in Him. You see, the language of being in Him or in Christ is something that every believer needs to be very familiar with. Okay, I do not go in and out of Christ. I don't get saved and one day I'm saved and the next day I'm not. And you better not die on Tuesday because that was a rough day. Because you might be in jeopardy eternally if you die on Tuesday. Listen, if I'm in Christ on Monday, I'm in Christ on Tuesday. I, I mean, my salvation is not coming and going. Like some people, are in, they live in fear of, I've sinned again. <sighs> Listen, no one's surprised. <laughs> and God is not surprised. And Jesus paid the price knowing that that would happen, and He still imparted to you eternal salvation when you accepted the Son. You see, if I uh, lose my relationship with God by failing, by sinning, by falling short in some area, how many know the reality of that is, is I now have to be saved again? Or let's use Bible language. Jesus said in John 3, 3, unless a man is born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I guess I have to be born again again. If I lose my relationship with God and my fellowship with Him when, it, when I sin, then I have to be born again again. And then if I do it again, I have to be born again 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 again. Again, 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 again. And if we were to all go about that, how many know we have got to get saved a lot? You know what I'm saying? I bet some of you, you've, you've been born again thousands of times. You got born again, 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 again. Why? Because every time, see, if, if I have that mindset that I'm, I've lost it, and it's like that Old Testament thing that something must be done to fix what I just did. In other words... We need another sacrifice. 
But Jesus isn't going to the cross again. He was the once and for all sacrifice. And I can't, again, now just so you understand, the Bible does not speak of a person being born again again. No one gets saved again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Amen. I relate to God based on the finished work of the cross, not on my performance. Not on me doing everything right. I don't know about you, but that, this is freeing. This is liberating. Amen. But the, the Word of God tells us and talks to us about us being a completed work. And I want to show you, uh, actually, I think three or four scriptures along these lines so you can uh, understand where I'm coming from. The first one is Colossians 2. Did you already turn there? Yes. All right. All right. Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. It says, For in him, him there is Jesus, dwells the all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. And you are, what's that word? Complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Notice what I am in him. I am complete. The work is finished. The Lord didn't do a 90% job, 80% job. He didn't get me on the right track and then expect me to kind of pick up from there and finish the job. Okay, I've got you going now. You know, it's like he's teaching us to ride a bike. He gives us a push. Now keep going. No, uh, the Lord completes the work. The day you got born again was the day you were a completed work. He absolutely finished you. Cooked you on both sides. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're well done. <laughs> uh, he didn't leave anything out, but put his fullness into this project of our lives. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians 2. Okay? And this is the, the mindset that we need to have. I'm not becoming a Christian. I'm not becoming saved. I'm not working on it. I'm not trying real hard. It, no, the moment I got saved, because it wasn't me that did it, Jesus did it fully and completely. So I'm, I am completely saved. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. And I know it got quiet for a reason. You don't know that person I'm married to. I can tell you there is a lot wrong with them. <laughs> and they call themselves a Christian. <laughs> well, one, I'm not real big on just going with what someone calls themselves. But secondly, uh, <laughs> I realize and I recognize that all my actions, all my thoughts, all my words are not perfect. But the Bible says that I am complete in Him. says that, that you are a completed work. So, I, therefore, I'm not trying to get something else. I'm not in a position of lack trying to convince God to fix me. I don't approach Him like there's something wrong with me and something right with Him. I approach Him like there's something right with me because I'm in Jesus. Amen. Now look at Hebrews chapter 12. Now hold on, don't anybody run out yet. 
I haven't finished messing with you and challenging your thinking. I don't want you to leave without the whole meal here. I wanted you to leave the restaurant hungry. Hebrews chapter 12, notice verse 22. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and the to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Don't you love that language? God made your spirit perfect. El perfecto. Nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing wrong with it. Truly clean, righteous, holy, and pure. You know, sometimes there's a, there's a mindset among believers that the only difference between a Christian, a, and I'm not talking a religious Christian, I'm talking about a relationship Christian as someone that's been saved, Uh, There's a big difference in the world today now. Uh, But they view the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. They'll say, well, the only difference is the Christian has been forgiven. That's not the only difference. That's one difference. Everybody with me? If I say that, if I believe that I am just a forgiven sinner, I have to throw out a gazillion scriptures from the Bible. That say I am changed. I've been made new. I've been washed. I've been made his righteousness. I mean there are literally scripture after scripture after scripture. That identify the different condition that I am in after I received the Lord. I'm literally not a sinner that's forgiven. I'm changed. Salvation really worked. (laughs) Jesus really did a complete job. And now I'm a brand new person. You see, that mindset enables me to live that life as opposed to the person who's told, yeah, you've received the Lord, but you're still a rotten, dirty dog. I mean, you're just a, you're just a, you're just a mess and you just need to humble yourself and acknowledge that you're, all, that you're messed up and you've got problems. You're a sinner and you're, you know, and they probably list a lot of those things that Paul wrote to Timothy about <laughs> It's as if they were never changed. It's like sometimes a a parent will deal with their children that are being disobedient, and they'll call them a brat. They'll call them, you, you're a bad kid, you're a bad boy, you're a bad girl. That's really not a good idea. How many understand what you're telling that person is that's who you are? I don't want them to believe that's who they are. I want them to believe that behavior was wrong. What you did was wrong. That's got to change. But you're a good boy. But you're a good girl. But you are a special person. You're, you're, you're important and, and, and you're a good person. Right. Right. That's how the Lord talks to us. Throughout the New Testament, we're reminded again and again and again of our new nature. Of who we are in Him. Of what Jesus has completed and finished in us. Even to the extent where He uses the language of perfection. Wow. I know sometimes there's question raised, questions raised during times like this, and you probably have them, and I did it on purpose. Uh, but I want to answer one of those right now, okay? 
people will say, well, what about some of those scriptures like in Philippians 1 that says that God will complete the work He began in us? Scriptures that reference that seem to imply that we are a work in progress, yet we also have verses that say it's done. It's a completion. It's a finished work. Which one's right? How many know if you ever read Bible verses where one seems to contradict the other in any way, uh, they don't really contradict. What's happening there is you're, if you'll look at it and ask the Lord to show you, you'll see a powerful revelation and see a truth that'll set you free. It's, it's the ignorant person now who comes up and says, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. It is not. It's all, they're, all they're saying is there are things in there that I don't understand. Hmm. I'm not going to exalt my mind above the mind of God. Right? When it comes to these things, now watch. Uh, the Lord has completed me. He has perfected me. When I got saved, He finished the job. But I've still got a mind. I've still got actions the way I live. And that part of me is a work in progress. He completed me. I'm totally and 100% saved. I can never be more saved than I am. I mean, because He took all my sin away. It's all gone. You can't find anything. I relate to God with absolute clear and open channels. I look right into His eyes and there's not a bit of guilt there's not a bit of condemnation coming from him like, you disappoint me. I don't disappoint him. He sees me through the lens of Jesus. And I look just like Jesus. And so do you. That's why my relate. I don't know about you, some might, some might think, well, then I can just go out and sin. And if that's the way he sees me, that doesn't do that to me. It makes me want to go, thank you, Lord. It makes me want to say, glory to God for what you've done for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I never could have done it on my own. And here I am. I got it for free. He made me clean. He made me right. And there's nothing I ever can or should try to add to that. I don't, do, I don't serve the Lord. I don't pastor a church. I don't do things for people. I don't give money. I don't do all these things because I think uh, God's going to love me more, accept me more. Or I think he's going to be ticked off at me if I don't. I do it because he is my Lord. He did change me. And it doesn't change whether, whether I go to church or not. I go to church because I'm saved. I read my Bible because I want to know him. Because I want to do right. Amen. Okay. Now, let, now let's go a little bit further and uh, go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. I want to show you this again. Thank you, Lord. What began in our spirit was completely, uh, is that we were completely changed, and now that, that's being worked out in our minds and in our actions. But again, this is by His grace. None of our life change is to be with us just trying real hard. That is a recipe for failure. Many of you could lift both hands and both legs with how many times you've tried to change things about your life and fell back. There are a few of you who've been extra disciplined and, you know, you, you were the cream of the crop and you pulled a few things off. But I'm telling you, if you really want to live this Christian life in the freedom and liberty that God provided and, and, and really designed for us to live in, 
you've got to trust in Him working in you. And we just simply learn how to respond to that again and again. Okay, here's a verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. That last phrase is, is a powerful, powerful truth, and it will mess up religious thinking. It really does. I started to, I was having a conversation with someone and sharing these things with them, and I brought up this verse, and I got halfway through it, as he is, and they finished it for me. They said, yeah, I know that one. As he is, so we shall be. And you see how religion takes over people's mind. It's an old covenant law mentality that takes over people's mind if they don't actually see what's written. It's that idea that there's still something wrong with me. How many believers, true Christians today, look at themselves and they think something's wrong, but the Bible says there's something right. In fact, there's everything right because you're in Christ. And this scripture says, as he is of Jesus, as he is right now, so are we in this world. Say it out loud. I'm just like Jesus. Listen, if you've been saved, you are just like Jesus. When? Well, I'm going to be like him then. No. From God's perspective, and I'm going with him, we're just like him today. You might look at me and say, I don't think you are. I'm going with God. I might look at you and say, you got issues, man. <laughs> but here's what I encourage you to do. Go with the word. Not proclaiming it to all your relatives and all your friends, I'm perfect. <laughs> because we know what we're talking about, they don't. How am I perfect? In Christ. My relationship with Him is perfected. It can't get any better. <laughs> I'm completely forgiven. That'll never be taken away. I'm a new creation. That never gets old. Amen. You'll never be old, ever. When we get to heaven, the outward is just going to reflect that because we'll have a new body, glorified body. It'll never get old. But right now, that's the way our spirit man is. Scripture says the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day to day. We just never get old. I'm continually a new creation in Christ. A sin, a failure, a shortcoming, a lack of performance in my life doesn't change it. It doesn't take it away. I'm still just to save today. Amen. As I was yesterday. As I was a year ago. As I was 10 years ago. Or whenever it was for you that you received the Lord. Okay. Here's another scripture. Don't turn to this one. I'll just save you some time. Hebrews 10 and verse 14. 10, 14 says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Notice that language. He has, past tense, perfected, past tense, forever, that's good news, those who are being, that's a process, those who are being sanctified. You see, you see both sides of this? What God did, He completed, He did it with perfection, it's done, nothing ever needs to be added to it, but that work inside of us is now being worked out into our thinking, into our behavior, into our words, into, into our daily lives. Knowing both sides of this, man, this will absolutely set you free. When I, 
If I blow it in some area, that's not me. I don't mean I don't take responsibility for my actions. We did the I Choose series. Remember that one? Get it. Okay. I don't mean we don't take responsibility for our actions, but that's not who I am. My nature is who I am in Christ. And I'm, I'm yielding to that and being separated in every other area of my life because of that finished, completed work. But I don't want to. Listen, people will fight for this. They will fight for their right to be bad. I mean, amazing. Just like some of us, we're shouting the victory in this and thinking, glory to God, I, this is the word. I see this. I know some are struggling with this. And I do have, you know, I, I don't mock that. I know how... how Beliefs get deeply rooted and grounded in people's minds. But people have trouble thinking that they're saved even after they sin. But you've got to think this through, think this through the, whole, the whole deal here. Really is my relationship with God after I get saved, is it, does it then go back to works? Do I then start relating to God by works after I'm saved and it's all about whether I do everything righteously how many know that's just that's just not in agreement with the with the scripture okay when paul wrote to the colossians uh when we when the scriptures from hebrew were written were those people in those churches uh were they perfect in every now understand the way we use perfect now were they flawless in all their behavior did the church at Colossae did they rise to a point where they never did anything wrong they had perfect thinking they walked in, in love without failure. No, they were just like us. They were complete and at the same time learning to live that out. But because their actions weren't altogether perfect, he didn't call them a bunch of, you know, hypocrites. Hmm. A lot of people in the world want to do that today. All Christians are hypocrites. That's a bunch of nonsense. Just because someone doesn't do everything right, I've failed a lot of times. I wasn't a hypocrite. I just failed. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever done that? You weren't a hypocrite. You, made, you, you sinned. Called on the name of the Lord. He forgave you. Amen. But again, we take this position in Christ and it's, it's right. It's perfect. And there's nothing else that needs to be added to it. Praise the Lord. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. And I want to show you, show you this uh, that will kind of bring this together. This principle that I'm teaching of not being in both covenants, mixing everything together, is a well-established Bible truth. And sometimes we read scriptures like these, that what Jesus said in, over here in Luke 5, and we think, what in the world does that have to do with anything? I don't know if you've ever read scriptures like that. I don't get it. I have. <laughs> but Jesus was dealing with this very issue because he was right there in the middle, in the middle of the two covenants. He was still under the old, but of course he was the one through his death, burial, and resurrection to bring the new covenant. And so he was trying to shift their thinking, tell them how things were going to be. And the Pharisees would come to him and they came to him here and they were saying, why don't your disciples fast? Why don't they fast like John's disciples fast? And, and uh, you know, what, what they were doing is basically trying to get them to act the old way. Follow the old system. To live under the old rules that governed that old covenant. 
And people are still trying to do that today. Listen, I think fasting can be a helpful thing if it's done right. But there's a whole lot of Christians today who fast. They're trying to get God to move. They'll go on long fasts to try to bring revival. Man, that's not what that, that's not how that works. That get, in fact, that is works. It gets into trying to add something to what Jesus completed when he went to the cross. Again, fasting has its place, and I'm not going to teach on that now. When done right, it can be of benefit. But too many people, I, they, they'll fast for a month. And I'm telling you, they did it in vain, other than their weight loss, if they, if they needed it. I mean, they did it in vain because they're no more spiritual, and God's not moving anymore. He was ready to do it the first day. But we've put it, we've taken these things off of our trusting Him, and we've put it onto us. I've got to do more. I've got to work harder. I've got to perform. And we've adapted that law mentality again, that God won't move until I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. You know what I'm saying? And that's just not the case. I, just like they would go back to the sacrifice and they could be blessed, I go back once and for all to the sacrifice and I can be blessed because of it. It. That's why, listen, you and I can wake up every day and expect God's favor and blessing on our lives and we absolutely should but it's a big 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 hindrance in this is people relate to God based on their performance I've blown it Uh, I don't my faith isn't strong enough I didn't read enough I didn't pray enough I didn't do this enough I missed church I did I did I did this this you know just list goes on of things that they can identify that they failed in quit Relate to God through Jesus and wake up every day knowing that you're washed, you're clean, you're pure. There's nothing wrong in your life and therefore expect, I'm going to work today, I'm going to get the accounts that no one else can get. I'm going to be able to sell things that no one else can sell. I'll I'll get promoted probably before everyone else gets promoted. I'll get pay raises. I just expect to live that way. I'll I'll open the mailbox and lo and behold, there'll be a surprise. A good thing. Why? It's just, God likes me. (laughs) It's like, I know someone in in high places. And he really likes me. Come on now. That's true. That is absolutely true. But if I think, he's kind of upset with me. One day he's happy with me, one day he's not. One day I'm in the grace, one day I'm back under the law then we disrupt God's flow of what He wants to bless us with. Amen. I mean, have you ever taken advantage of maybe you were going somewhere, you needed tickets to a game, you needed, or a concert, or or, a vacation, and you knew someone who worked at the hotel, or, you know, somewhere, and you tried to use your connections? You know? You say, hey, I know so-and-so. They might be able to get me a good deal. And, And... no one condemns you for that. I'd say, hey, if you know someone, they can get you a good deal and get a good deal. Amen. Right? I know someone. Amen. I do. And I don't have any problem at all having him fix things, fix things for me. And not everyone else gets it. But I know him, and he's going to get me a good deal in life. <laughs> I'm just going to have an advantage, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. And if I go in for the job and there's a hundred other people that I'm just going to come away with it. Why? Well, I know people. I have, I have 
inside information. I have, a, I have connections that not everybody has. I'm going to exploit it. <laughs> Maybe that's the wrong word. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the Lord wants you to have that favor and access and blessing in your life. And the way that we walk in that is not by trying real hard. It's not by doing a bunch of stuff. It's by trusting that Jesus did it for us. Then guess what happens at the end of that? He gets the credit. We can't say, it's all about me. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. No, I'm going to come out saying, man, it's the grace of God. I'm just thankful that His things just work for me in my life. But it's not because I'm special, except for I'm special to Him. Amen. That's what the Word of God tells us. Remember First Peter over there? You're a holy nation. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a special or peculiar, a special people. Special to who? God. Why? Special why? Because we're so good looking? Because we do everything right? Because we've accepted the Son. <laughs> and in Him, all my sins are washed away. Thank you, Lord. Did we read this? Let's do that before we're out of time. Luke chapter 5 and verse 36. I, I set up the example. They were talking about fasting. That's when I got off on some other things. Uh, but uh, Luke 5, 36. Uh, then he spoke a parable to them. He said, no one puts a piece from an, a new garment on an old one. Now notice these words in your Bible, new and old. New and old. You might want to underline those. A new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the old one does not, the new one does not match the old. We understand that. Those of you who sew and put, you know, cloths together, material together, if one's already old and it's already shrunk up, then you sew a brand new one that's never been washed, how many know you can have some problems with that? That's what he's saying. And plus, they don't match, and you look ugly when you wear it. Well, Jesus didn't say that, but, you know, I'm just kind of reading between the lines there. <laughs> okay? But he said it doesn't work. Verse 37, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wines, and the wineskins will be spilled, uh, and the wi- wineskins will be ruined. Wine will... Did I read that right? The, the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. Now, we don't use wineskins so much in, in our day, but basically what he's saying is uh, the new wine that's unfermented, if you put it into a wineskin that's already uh, been stretched and, 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 and so forth, when the new wine starts um, fermenting, it's going to burst a hole in that. You can't take the new and put it into the old. The new and the old don't mix. What is he talking about? He's talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. He's talking about the old way of doing things, which they kept saying, why don't they do this? Why don't they do this? He's saying there's a new way coming, and these two do not mix. And if you start trying to mix the two together, you are going to have some issues. You're going to be ugly and have wine all over the floor. And you're going, to have, you're going to struggle in your life and have sin dominate you. And you'll fight and say, this is hard. Because the new covenant needs to stand on its own. We live in the grace of God and we don't add anything to it. We let it rest completely and fully on the finished work of the cross. 
When Jesus said it was finished, that was the last sacrifice. And nothing else ever has to be added to that to perfect or complete your life. It all goes back to Him. Amen. And so this business of the new and the old must be separated, that we live totally in the new. And I'm telling you, some of this might take a little bit of mind renewal again and again. That's why we make this a series, so we can stay with this. Because there is a tendency for human beings to go back to performance. I've got to do this, then my life will be better. Then I'm more, then I'm, then I'm more righteous. We sin, and we feel like we're, we're away from God. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're never away from God. Too many people are, are coming back to the Lord again and again and again. I've got to just keep coming back to God. Listen, if you're really in Him, you never left. Now, I realize you might have left up here. Some of you may have. You may have gone, you know, gone astray mentally or in your behavior. But if you've received the Lord in some time in the past, you know that He has never left you, even though you went cuckoo in your brain. And I'm not saying you can't come back, but don't think of it in the sense that I've got to keep coming back to God over and over again. Every time I miss it, I've got to come back to God. You're with Him. Amen. Let me give you one more verse today, and, uh, and then we'll finish. And that's Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. I got to keep you up to speed with the other services. So, Galatians chapter 2. Listen, uh, for those who try to live the Christian life in their own efforts, they're going to fail and frustrate the grace of God. Okay? They got saved by His grace. It was all God. It was all Him. I just received it. But if I go on now and try to live, I'm just going to try to work this thing. I'm going to try to live my life right before God. I'm going to frustrate the grace of God. This is what the scripture says, Galatians 2.21. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And people who are made righteous in Christ by receiving Jesus frequently leave that place and start trying to perform for God. They do the song and the dance trying to make their life better and better, but you can never get any better than it is. And I don't want to make what Jesus did on the cross in vain for me. Look at this verse from the Amplified Bible. It says, it says, Therefore, I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace of unmerited favor of God for if justification righteousness acquittal from guilt comes through observing the ritual of the law then Christ the Messiah died groundlessly and to no purpose and in vain his death was then wholly superfluous what a sad commentary for those of us who've been redeemed by his blood to now go out of this to go out of that place in our own flesh back under the commandments back under the law back under the rules living like Jesus never paid the price once and for all that work was the work that work was the event that changed eternity future 
nothing can ever be added to it. In fact, Hebrews speaks harshly of those who would attempt to crucify afresh the Son of God by putting Him to an open shame. Nothing can be added to what Jesus did. Nothing that I can do can make me any, make me any better. I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to step onto the moving sidewalk for my traveling convenience and start living beyond what I'm able to do all by myself. Start living in something that's supernaturally given to me freely by God. It's an ability to make me go faster. Less effort, further ground taken. I say less effort, less effort on my part. My focus is in I believe. My focus is in I trust the finished work of the cross. Amen. To be continued. All right. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much today for your graciousness, your kindness toward us. Thank you for your faithfulness and your love. For the grace of God has been given and made available to every single one of us. And Lord, we purpose in our hearts today to walk in it, to receive it, and to not straddle the fence of law and grace, old covenant and new. But Lord, help us to be fully mindful every single day of what Jesus did and what He completed for us at Calvary. That when He came busting out of that tomb, we came out with Him. Thank you for your grace to help in time of need today. We give you all the praise and glory for it. Thank you, Lord. Father, for those who come to church this morning that have never been saved.